Would it surprise you if I were to tell you that in Thailand, many churches worship just like we have here today? Some people think Thai, Thai people from the Buddhist background are very quiet and still, but that's not the case. When they come to know Jesus and find the joy of the Lord, this could have been Bangkok Sunday morning. So I'm feeling, I'm feeling right at home. Amen. Praise God. Kenita, thank you so much for the invitation to be here. I am truly honored. And would you please have a seat? I'm truly honored here and humbled to have this opportunity to share the word of God with you this morning and just something, maybe just a slice of the experience that my wife and I have had for well over 30 years serving him in Thailand and many other countries beyond that. Wendy sends her greetings. She said to me at one point a few years back, you know, we've traveled so much and as a result of that, we haven't been able to really plug into a local church. And so she, to get her out of her local church, our church, these days is almost impossible. And so she sends her greetings this morning. She also has a bit of a health challenge that makes it difficult uh, to break out of the routine. But uh, she sends her greetings to you and her love to you. And praise God, we are just on the verge of celebrating 40 years together. That is by the grace of God. For grace of God, I'll tell you, being on the mission field is very challenging in, in, for, for, for couples that have a solid marriage. And we had a solid marriage, but it's very difficult to be on the mission field. Everything is more difficult. It's hot. It's, uh, the language is difficult. It's difficult just to live. And so all of those things kind of creep in, and they can be very challenging to a relationship. But praise God, we've been together, and we'll continue to be together. Nobody's going anywhere. The title of the message that I brought here this morning, I believe God put this on my heart. The title is, You Absolutely Matter to God. You absolutely matter to God. I absolutely matter to God. I don't care where you've come from, what you've done, where you've been, whether you're old or young or rich or poor, what your background is, little education, a lot of education. You matter to God. We are priceless in his sight. We're chosen, we're treasured, we're unique, we're special, we're loved, we're cherished, we're prized. He adores us. You're dear to him. You're gifted. You're one of a kind. Crucial in God's plan to reach the world. Author Max Lucado and speaker said, God loves you just the way you are. Amen. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to leave you that way. Amen. He wants you to be just like Jesus. That's the title of one of his books. Yes. A verse of scripture that has been so challenging to me for many, many years is in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6 says, Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. So if you and I claim to be followers of Christ... We must walk as he did. This morning, we're going to look at a passage that talks about a shepherd. But how many of you know that Jesus is the great shepherd? Yes. He is the great shepherd. And the great shepherd established the largest movement in history. The greatest program the world has ever known. 
It is the best plan the world has ever had. It was established by a king, the king of kings. The body of Christ is on the move. The body of Christ is the largest movement in the history of the world. You and I, his chosen, his dearly beloved, we get to be a part of this. There is no greater privilege in the world than to be a part of the plan that established by the greatest king that's ever lived on this earth. On this earth. Some of you know that Thailand is a kingdom. I often say to people, I have the privilege of living in a place where there's a king, and there continues to be a king. The years that we lived there, the king had been on the throne for almost 70 years. Nobody in Thailand, almost nobody knew of any other king than that king. And as I learned the language and understood that there's a special way you have to address the king. One of my students at the seminary in Bangkok, I found out, worked in the palace. And she said, Dajan Wechan, which is my Thai name. She says, Wechan. I said, what's it like to work in the palace? She said, it is an incredible privilege to work in the palace. I said, what do you do? She says, I mop the floors. I sweep and mop the floors. I'm a cleaner in the palace. He said, that is an awesome privilege because of the, the degree to which they revere the king. And a couple years before that, I remember watching on Thai TV as the supreme commander of the Thai military and the governor of Bangkok were in the king's living room. And there was a battle going on in Bangkok between the faction that was led by the governor of Bangkok, all the students of Bangkok, they were rioting. And then the supreme commander of the military was on the other faction. He was bringing in the military. People were dying in the streets all over Bangkok. And these two gentlemen came into the living room of the king. And as the king sat on the sofa in front of them, he, the, 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 the two top leaders of the country, they had to crawl on their face. They crawled on their face like this to the king. And when they looked up at the king, they couldn't address the king directly. They spoke to the dust on the bottom of the king's shoes. There's a special word for that. And I thank God for the privilege of living in a country where there's a king because it helps me to understand our king. Our king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. There is no one, no one like him. He's a shepherd. Brother Calvin read that passage a few minutes ago. I'm not going to read it again from Luke 15. If you can just turn to it, Luke 15, uh, verses 1 to 5. I'm going to refer to that as we go through here. But we're all called to be like the king. We're all called to be like the great shepherd. We're all called to be under shepherds. And that means we're called to discipleship. That means we're called to serve him near and far. Because the great commission is to make disciples of all the peoples. All the peoples. What a privilege that is. And I believe this morning that there are those among us that he's calling I believe he's calling all of us to serve him near here where we are. But I believe there's some here this morning that he is calling to serve him over there. 
And I wish I had more time, but I'd love to join Larry and do a Q&A again. And, and, and I'm sorry, I, I can't remember your name, but Rebecca, yes, Rebecca, Larry and Rebecca, I'd love to join you guys in a Q&A with, with, with everybody here. We could talk a little bit more about what that means. What was that like? How do I do that? What's the next step I need to take? Well, <laughs> you said African Americans are uniquely qualified. I know that's true. Ask me later how I know that, okay? I know that's, that is true. What I can tell you is that in the past 10 years, before I resigned, not resigned, before I retired from the mission, God put me in a place where I was overseeing teams in 10 different countries across Asia, from India to Japan. And I just want to tell you that diversity on local mission teams sends a powerful statement to the unbelievers in a way that nothing else can. When they see that the body of Christ, when they see that the missionaries are diverse but unified, that's exactly what Jesus was talking about. When he says, by, by your love, the world will know who I am. And I pray that God will, he, I believe he will speak to, to, to many of you here today and that you will respond. You'll say yes to him. All right. Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 5. In this parable, this beautiful parable, I see three things about the shepherd that tell us what he's like, but not just what he was like, but what he did. So we should be like him and do what he did as well. All right. The background, Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 7. This is the parable of the lost sheep. It says there were tax collectors and sinners. They're all gathered around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told the parable. The reason Jesus told this parable is because it was in response to the muttering of the Pharisees and teachers of the law. Who, and and, and who, who, who else was in the crowd? Well, the sinners and tax collectors. So there's this big crowd, and they're gathered around listening to Jesus teach. Just a little bit of background here. The, um, the tax collectors, and they were, they were despised people because they were lining their pockets from the taxes they were gathering from the local people, and they were the agents of Rome that was oppressing Israel at the time. They were hated. Just remember that they were hated and despised people. The sinners were non-religious, according to the society. They were just the common people. They were not schooled. They were ignorant of the law. They, sometimes they took jobs that were contrary to the law, and they were defiled. They were considered to be people under God's judgment. Yet both the tax collectors and the sinners, they were, listen to this, they were drawn to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the, teacher, and, and the teachers of the law, they repelled the sinners, exactly and diametrically opposed to one another. Now, who were the Pharisees and the tax collectors and, and the, uh, sorry, the teachers of the law? Well, they, they had this great knowledge of the Old Testament, so they thought they did anyway. They were like lawyers. <laughs> Do you know that the United States has like 90% of the lawyers in the world, and we have got like 3 or 4% of the population? That's just an aside. Wow. They loved personal purity. 
but they had no love for lost souls. They didn't understand the mission that Jesus was on, and they were mad right now. They were mad at Jesus. In fact, the mission of Jesus is in Luke 19, verse 10, just a couple chapters after that. He said to the people that were crowded around in the house of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter, uh, chapter 19, verse 10, he says, For the Son of Man came, the Son of Man came, why? To seek and save what was lost. The Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. That's his mission statement. So if we're going to be, if, remember I said whoever claims to follow Jesus must walk as he did. So that's got to be our mission statement as well. These guys loved their personal purity. They were mad at Jesus. Jesus, they were mad because Jesus was doing exactly the thing that they should have been doing. They walked around with these robes on, and they were afraid that as they walked through the crowd, the, the, the cloth might swish a little bit and, and touch a woman, of all things, or somebody else who was defiled. They'd have to go and wash in the spring of Gihon before they could go back to the temple and worship God. I saw this illustrated in Thailand. Thailand is a Buddhist country, about 97 98% Buddhist. And the monks walk around with their yellow orange robes and if you're going through a crowd you got to be really careful I don't have to be so much but I remember my wife as a woman she's got to move away like this and make sure the monks don't the robe doesn't touch her or they would have to do the same thing that sense of purity has got to be maintained at all costs so whether it was the Pharisees back then or the monks in Thailand today they need Jesus amen Well, they were especially angry that Jesus was eating with sinners and tax collectors. Especially angry, because that was the ultimate defilement. Eating means that you identify with whoever you're eating with. They had this concept that as you reach out across the table and take some of the food that was common and you tear off a piece of meat and eat it, and the other person on the other side reaches out and tears a piece of meat off and eats it, that common food goes into your body and becomes a part of you and helps you grow. Same thing for the other person. So in that sense, you become unified. So how dare you eat? Jesus, how dare you eat with a sinner or tax collector? If you go back a couple chapters in Luke 7, Luke 7, 34, Jesus was accused of being, well, he was accused of two things. He was accused of being a glutton and a drunkard. Because what he did, his evangelistic strategy was very simple. You know, in my time in ministry, I've seen all kinds of plans for evangelism, all kinds of detailed things that we come up with. And, and I don't mean to put all of them down, maybe, maybe a little bit, <laughs> maybe a little bit, but Jesus' plan was so simple. I'm going to spend time with sinners. He didn't. I'm just going to eat with them and drink with them. He did that to the point where people, he had this reputation. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time you've been accused of being a glutton and a drunkard, hanging out with sinners? I think, let's, let's go for that. Let's go for it. Let's do it. 
That's what that's was that's how he reached people. That was his strategy. He loved them. They were drawn to him. May God help me. Calvin, Connie, we've spent time on campus. We, how, who knows how many meals we've had with Muslims and Hindus. And What a pleasure. What an honor. I want to invite you, some of you, to come and see. Come and see what we do. Join us. That was Jesus' strategy. Even today, Orthodox Jews will not eat with a Gentile. Now, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, they... they they actually muttered. But you know what the original word there is more like? They growled. They growled. In fact, if you read the, the translation or the paraphrase, the message, it uses that word. They were growling. You know, Jesus, look what he's doing. They were so mad. They were violently opposed to what Jesus was doing, believing more that they were more righteous than others because they diligently sought God. The rabbis taught that God would receive repentant sinners, but, but this parable shows that God seeks the sinners. He's seeking the sinners. That was shocking to them, and it's shocking to many people even today. Now, I noticed three things in this, about this shepherd, three important things. One, the shepherd's motivation. He was motivated by his love for the sheep. His knowledge that, that one of them got lost. Isaiah 53, 6 says, we are all like sheep. We all like sheep have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to his own way. So it says we are like sheep. So everything I'm about to say about sheep, think about, well, think about us. Think about humans. Think about your friends and neighbors that don't, know yet, don't yet know Jesus. All right? Well, do you realize that that friend, the neighbor, the loved one, is actually just as lost as this lost sheep in the parable? They're in mortal danger. You know, it's easy to forget. As we interact with people around us at work, at school, wherever we are, it's easy to forget that they are lost. Because, you know, they, maybe they seem perfectly happy on the outside. But we know they're lost. And I just want to insert a comment here about Muslims. Larry, you made me think of something. One of the countries that I helped to oversee mission teams uh, was Indonesia. Indonesia is the largest Islamic nation in the world. Didn't we just learn this morning that, that something like 80% of Muslims lives, don't live in the Middle East? Indonesia, huge country. The fourth largest country in the world, like L.A. to New York. It's huge country, 17 1,500 islands. I went to an island in the smack dab of Indonesia called Sulawesi. Our team there, brand new on the ground, they started going around visiting Muslims. And at first, they got the cold shoulder. They just like... And then they found out from one of the Muslims that uh, they were so shocked because they had... Listen to this. They had been taught all their lives that Christians hate them. Why are you coming to see us? Why are you coming to bring food, coming wanting to meet us and get to know us and be friends with us? It was shocking to them because they had been taught all their lives that Christians hate them. Isn't that the trick of the enemy? Yeah. It, you see how the enemy creates fear on our side? We think Muslims hate us. They think we hate them. Oh, 
we, we got to stay away from nightly news to get our perspective of Muslims. That's not going to give you the right, the right perspective on things at all. All right. The reality is that people, just like sheep, are lost. Sometimes they're oblivious to the fact, well, most of the time they are. Sheep can be like with their nose down in a tuft of grass, happily grazing away, not realizing there's vicious wolves just two or three feet away all around them. So what are they like? Well, sheep are unique in the animal world. Unique in what way? They actually cannot, almost cannot defend themselves. They're basically defenseless. They're defenseless against predators. Left in the wild, they're surely going to die. They cannot survive alone. There's, they, have, they have very little sense of danger at all when danger is all around, just like I mentioned a moment ago. Second, they cannot find their way home if they get lost. They have no homing instinct at all. What a sad creature sheep are, and sadly, we're compared to them. But okay, they, they, they can't find their way home. They're pitiful in the wilderness. They need a shepherd for protection and guidance. And then the last point here is that they get lost because of their foolishness. They follow sometimes a bad leader, even off a cliff. You can go on YouTube and watch this. Like the sheep are just running off a cliff because they think that some sheep down there or some, somebody down there leading them, but they're, they're just foolish. And they have very, um, they're short-sighted. Now, there's not any sheep in Thailand, but when we talk about this parable, they say, oh, that's just like a water buffalo. <laughs> These big water buffalo. And the water buffalo, we, we kind of say, they just stand there like this. <laughs> and it's true. They are, they're short-sighted. They don't know what's going on around them. <laughs> just, but the people love the water buffalo. They love it. Well, there's danger all around. They're separated from the shepherd. They're exposed to heat, freezing temperatures, hot temperatures. They're ex they get exhausted. They lack water. They get hungry. Sometimes there's vicious predators all around. Think about lost people in light of this. Sometimes those thieves are going to come and grab a sheep, a, a sheep and just go sell it right away in the market to get some money, or they're going to go slaughter it right away for a meal. They need rescue, and they need it urgently. They're very short-sighted, like I said. They're not realizing that danger is all around. I hope you take that away from this message this morning, that those that we interact with, we think they're just fine, but they're actually like lost sheep, very unaware of how lost they are. It reminds me of what happened in Philadelphia a couple of years ago. There was a train crash, maybe about two, three years ago. People were totally oblivious to the fact that within two, three seconds, they'd be gone. Eight people died, scores of people hurt. Just bam, just like that, it was over. So that's how it can be. That's how it can be so sudden. The shepherd realizes that one of the 100 is lost. How does he realize that? Because he's aware. He's aware. May God help us to be aware, <laughs> like that shepherd to be aware of what's going on around us. God, you know I need, I need that. I need that awareness because I need this message just as much. I've been preaching to myself for about two weeks on this. <laughs> <I've> been, <laughs> Lord, help me to 
just come out of my fog and realize these people around me need you so desperately and be more aware of the reality, the spiritual reality that these sheep are so lost. The shepherd loved them. He loved them, valued them. I remember pulling up into, for years, I would go out with my wife and uh, several others, we formed teams of students, and we would travel all across the northeast part of Thailand, bordered on Laos and bordered on Vietnam on the other side. There were thousands of villages up there. We'd have a Toyota pickup truck, about two of them. We'd go out and we'd go for a couple days at a time, up to a week. We pulled into a village one day, and village was, the villagers were all upset. And we couldn't figure out what was going on until we asked somebody, and they said, we lost a water buffalo. <laughs> it's like one of the, it's like a member of the family. I mean, they watch them like a hawk. And we, they were so upset the water buffalo had left. And I thought, well, big deal. But no, no. That water buffalo is worth like a, a year's wages. And they lost the water buffalo. But they were aware. They were aware. Now, there's nothing in this parable that even remotely indicates that the one lost sheep was any more special than the 99. They were all loved. They were all special. They were all chosen. They were all guarded. They were all dear to the shepherd's heart. So I want to say in the kingdom of God, nobody's more special than anybody else. We all are completely equal in God's Sight. There is neither Greek nor Jew, male nor female, slave nor free. He told us that's the reverse of the curse in the garden. And we need to live in the, re in the reverse of the curse these days when there's total equality in the kingdom of God. There's nothing special about that one sheep except, not except, but he just loved them all. He loved every one of them. God's kingdom is that way. Now, when I think about compassion for the lost, I want to be like the shepherd who was motivated by compassion for the lost sheep, love for the sheep. I realized a few years back, quite a few years back, I can't work up that compassion in my own, like, strength. I can't just say, I just want to feel compassion today. It doesn't, it doesn't, work, it doesn't work that way. I don't have, I mean, I got irritated many times. Maybe you did too at the Egyptians, at the Thai people. You know, they get, they get irritated at me and I get irritated. What is this weird custom I can't figure out, you know? And some of this language, like, can you just speak a little slower or, you know? There's all kinds of things that can irritate you about people everywhere, but especially when you're the outsider going into this other culture and you're being with them and trying to figure out which end is up. Praise God after... 30 years, we did figure out, at least begin to figure out which end is up. But God gave me a love for the people, and they have a beautiful language. It's a beautiful language, very expressive and very flowing. And uh, Okay, I could go on. All right. All right. You can't work it up. How do you get this compassion? It's very simple. I think we abide in Christ, draw near to him. We see the example of the shepherd, draw near to him. Abiding in Christ is the key, I believe, to having this kind of compassion. In terms of on the spiritual side, on the practical side, on the practical side. Well, I think we need to stop long enough to hear his voice sometimes. 
get unplugged from all the social media that's everywhere. <laughs> Detox from social media. So we hear his voice, draw near to him, abide in him. But on the practical side, Jesus' strategy, what was it? Hanging out, eating, and drinking with those who are lost. The more we do that, I'm convinced the more we will have his compassion for those that we're befriending and reaching out to, which I believe with all my heart needs to be absolutely unconditional. Whether that person, you, brother, you said those Muslims, they'll see, they'll see right through you immediately. They know, they know who you are. That is so true. That is so true. They'll, they'll spot a fake a mile away. If you're only there hoping that, I mean, we should be there hoping they'll come to Jesus. But if they see it's all conditional, no, nope, it's not going anywhere. It's got to be unconditional. And that's the Father's love for us. It's unconditional. It doesn't depend on whether we do this or that. That's how we should be if we're going to be like the shepherd. Unconditional. I was really sobered this week. I happened to turn on the radio, which I don't normally listen to, David Jeremiah. Uh, some of you may know him, but he's speaking through the book of Revelation. He comes to chapter 20. It's the great white throne judgment. Wow. That hit me in a new way. I can tell you in the opportunities that I've had by the thousands sharing the gospel over decades in Thailand with, with Buddhist people, here's, here's a takeaway. I have not yet met one person who denied that there's some kind of judgment coming. Some day of accountability. I don't care whether they're a Buddhist monk at the moment, or maybe they were a Buddhist monk, or they're a student at a university, or there's somebody in a village. There's an inner sense that one day there's a day of reckoning coming. And I have a theory about how reincarnation developed. Ask me about that. I'll tell you later. But I think that's just, they're just putting off. They're just putting off what they know is coming. In fact, the Chinese in Thailand, they all know a saying that says, it says, Sawanmita, which means heaven, heaven, in, heaven has an eye. <laughs> There's somebody watching. That's what that means. And what that means is one day there's going to be a day of reckoning. There's a day of accountability. There's a day of judgment. And that's what the great white throne judgment is all about. And it was so sobering to hear once again, there's all these books, and then there's the book of life. All those books, Jesus is recounting the story of their lives. I used to wonder, well, how is it that nonbelievers, they see this loving figure when, when, when they come? I have a, all right. There's a, there's a Thai temple north of Philadelphia in Ben Salem. I used to go up there all the time and hang out and meet people and try to share the gospel at the temple. I met a guy up there who had an, who had an encounter. He, he said he died and he saw this figure that was loving and white, you know, dressed in white and glowing. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. He felt the warmth and the love. The guy's not a believer. He's, a, he's actually a witch doctor. I could tell you stories about what he did up there in North Philadelphia, but I thought, how is that? He felt this loving presence. Well, I realized, as David Jeremiah told the story of Revelation chapter 20, everyone's going to experience, I believe, this is my theory, everyone's going to experience that. But, but as they go through the process of their lives being recounted by Jesus and all those books, 
If they are not a follower of Christ, if they have not received his forgiveness, then they will realize, certainly when Jesus looks for their name in the book of life and it's not there, they'll be cast into the lake of fire. Initially, they will be in his presence, and anybody in Jesus' presence is going is to see his beauty, his glory, his love. But they will realize. That's a sobering thought. Those people all around us that we know at our job, at our work, at school, that seem so happy, seem so, you know, carefree, whatever, they're going to be at that great white throne judgment one day. May God help us to remember that. Realize people are lost, but just realizing it is not enough. We must get involved in the search and rescue operation. You're needed. You're called. Every one of you is called as a disciple of Christ into God's plan to use you. And it takes me to the second point, the shepherd's determination. Very quickly, the shepherd went on. He went out after this one lost sheep. That showed it was dear to him. Notice the word in verse, this is the red letter edition, and with macular degeneration and glaucoma, it makes it really hard to see. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's verse 4. He says, he went after the lost sheep until, you see the word until? Until, until it was found. That means he never gave up. There wasn't any mountain too high or valley too low or ocean too wide. No expense too great. He went after this sheep. And when he found the sheep, what did he do? He rejoiced. He put it on his shoulder. Did he, did he punish the sheep? Did he say, you stupid sheep. What are you doing out here? No. No, no. He, he, he loved that sheep, carried it home. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2 says, we should be imitators of God. Imitators of God, living a life of love. It means going the extra mile. It means making friends with lost people, serving them unconditionally, as I said a moment ago, whether they're interested in the good news or not. It means going the extra mile. This week, I, I barely got time to prepare this message because I got a call from a colleague in, in Nebraska. There's an, a family from Iran coming. They need housing. Quick. Something fell through, and they need housing. They need to find a place to live. And so I've been scrambling all around trying to find a place for them to live and sending emails to friends and networks and churches. And I didn't send an email here. Maybe I should have done that. <laughs> so something came up yesterday, and I'm getting the information about this home. It's actually um, over by North Franklin Street or somewhere up here. I don't know if he's going to take the home or not. But as they were describing what the home... Uh, was like, uh, the lady said, and, and there's a dog that the uh, family from Iran will have to take care of. I said, uh-oh. <laughs> she said, what's wrong? Well, I'm assuming this is a Muslim family. And brother, I don't know about in Egypt, but Muslims from Indonesia, they're not going to have dogs in the house. And the lady said, well, welcome to America. You know, but I said, well, uh, you know, I'll, I'll find out. So I called him and talked about this house, and I'm, I'm waiting to hear the answer. But that, that could be a deal breaker uh, for most Muslims. But it's it just a lot of time this week chasing after a house for them to live in. But it's those kind of things that we can do for just helping people in practical ways, things that they need. The organization that I'm with called International Students Incorporated, 
they, their experience over the past 60 years working with international students around the country is that at some point, an international student is going to look up to you and say, why are you doing all this? <laughs> why are you, like, what's up? And perfect opportunity to just say, because we love international students, because Jesus is in our hearts and he loves you too, you know, and go from there in the gospel. Um, you know, there's so much more I could say. I need to, I need to, I need to land the plane pretty soon, okay? <laughs> we're, coming, we're, we're coming on, we're on approach here, <laughs> all right? Um, you know, just all kinds of things you can do to reach out and be close to non-believers. One of the things I'm doing on the campus is trying to organize an event with Ravi Zacharias and Abdu Murray. Um, students, if you're here today, any students, you're invited. Um, that's going to be, maybe some of you know Ravi, maybe some of you know of him, maybe some of you have never heard of him, but he's an outstanding evangelist. Abdu Murray is a former Muslim from Lebanon, and his testimony is a wonderful testimony. For nine years, he went on a campaign to discredit and destroy Christianity. He went on a deep study to try to figure out a ways to show that the Bible's not true, Jesus isn't who he said he was, and all of that. And, and he's a lawyer. He's a, he's a top lawyer from Michigan. He got the Outstanding Lawyer Award uh, in Michigan and then won across the country. So the guy is taking this study as a, as, a, as a legal mind. And you know what happened? You know what happened. You know what happened. You tell me what happened. He met Jesus in the process of trying to, trying to debunk him. And if you think of it, please pray. We want to get, he's going to be with us all day Tuesday, November 5th. We want to figure out a way to invite a lot of Muslims to hear this guy. But he'll be speaking with Ravi on Monday night at the multi-purpose center at the University of Delaware. So just trying to put all that together, that's one thing. Um, the last thing I want to say about the shepherd is the shepherd's celebration. Um, <laughs> unlike the rabbis, rabbis had a saying, there's joy in heaven when a sinner is obliterated. That's what they said. That's the total opposite to what Jesus is saying. He says there's joy in heaven when one, just one sinner repents. Total contrast to the ways of the world. He joyfully put the sheep on his shoulders and said, hey, come, celebrate. I can't celebrate. You can't celebrate alone, right? <laughs> if you've ever been on a search and rescue team, when they find the people, nobody needs to say, okay, now celebrate. <laughs> it's just this spontaneous eruption of joy and celebration. And I wish I had time to tell you all of the stories I could, a few of them, when I could anyway. And, but one that came to mind just recently, I was, so, I was so happy I remembered this story. I was at a graduation for the Bangkok Bible College and Seminary a couple of years back, and I'd been out of the teaching role for a number of years, and I figured, well, let me just go to graduation and see, just kind of be there, and I probably don't know any of the students. And there were a lot of people milling around, and as I was standing there with Wendy, this, this student, like, just burst out of the crowd, nearly knocked me over. And she said, Ajahn Wee-chan, I'm so happy to see you. Stand there, don't move, I'll be right back. What just, what just happened, you know, like what? And I didn't, even, I didn't recognize her. I said, who is that? Wendy said, who is that? I said, I don't know. <laughs> so I'm waiting for so-and-so to come back. She goes, about five minutes later, she comes back with her brother and a camera. She says, don't move, again. <laughs> I'm going to take your picture. 
so she takes the picture, and I said, by the way, who are you? <laughs> she said, you and your wife came to my village 25 years ago. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus. You came to my village 25 years ago. And we took a picture of you back then. Your wife had long hair back then. And I took that picture and I put it in my Bible. And I've been praying for you all along. I said, oh, man, does it get any better than that? (laughs) Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to bring this. I'm going to land the plane here with two points in conclusion. You absolutely matter to God. God loves you just the way you are, but he doesn't, he refuses to leave you just that way. He wants to make you just like Jesus. The key is abiding in Christ, and the key is Jesus' simple strategy of hanging out with people that don't know him, eating and drinking. That shouldn't be too hard, right? (laughs) That shouldn't be too hard, just having some meals with people. (laughs) Oh, well, um, to quote Ravi Zacharias, who's coming in November, he says, love is the most powerful apologetic. It is the essential component in reaching the whole person in a fragmented world. The need is vast, but it is also imperative that we be willing to follow the example of Jesus and meet the need. Who is God calling you to reach? What lost sheep are currently in your sphere of influence? And where are they? Is God calling you to serve him overseas? Or is he calling you to serve him near or maybe both? He has different air, He has different seasons in our lives. The season in my life is here now. God is calling, I believe, all of us. And when he calls us, we go with all of his authority to make disciples of all people, to teach them everything or all things that Jesus taught. And in the process, he said, I will be with you always. I will be with you always. If I could give a benediction to this message, here's what it would be. God's word to Paul in Acts 26, 16. Listen to this carefully. It's a commission. He says, I, this is Jesus speaking to Paul, but take it as our word to us today. I am sending you to them to open their eyes. Wait a minute, God, I thought only you could open their eyes. Yes, but he says, I'm calling you to them. You open their eyes. You turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Can I pray just a brief prayer for us this morning? Father, I thank you for your word, your truth. Seal it to our hearts today. Show us how we should be obedient in our particular situations. I ask for your glory, for your honor. In Jesus' name, amen.